Hello, and welcome to ng-build-pod, where we share with you our knowledge of Angular, all the mistakes we've made, and some of the things we've gotten right. I'm Chris Kamak, and with me as always is John Graham. We are both full-stack Angular developers that love to share and be part of the developer community. We both work here at Miles Technologies in Lumberton, New Jersey, on the Engine team, and we have spent the last several years building out our Angular template for the Miles software division. So, uh, John, what have you been up to? Yeah, so I think um, I mentioned in a previous podcast that I've been looking at the Azure stuff uh, a lot recently, and I'm happy to announce that I did get the first certification on the fundamentals. Uh, so that went really well. I was super nervous about it. Haven't taken a test in like congratulations. Thank you, thank you. Haven't taken a test in like 15 years, so you know uh, that was a little bit of nerves there, but it, it went well, and I've moved on to the next one. So I'm doing the developer certification now. Um, so I've just been spending a lot of extra time, any extra time really that I can, uh, working on that. Uh, that's, that's really good. Yeah. How about you? Uh, lately, and I mean like very recently, uh, I rediscovered how much I like Spotify. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been, I don't know, I guess because I haven't been in the car, uh, I just haven't thought about listening to music in the same way that I did before. So I just put some on today, uh, listened to a couple of playlists and, uh, it was a, it was a real good time. Glad I did it. What do you do without, like, what have you been doing for the past two months? Mostly sitting in silence and, uh, (laughs) pensive frustration. How about you? That's a very, uh, sadistic thing to do. (laughs) Uh, I've I've been Uh, listening to Spotify (laughs) like I do every other day at work. So that's good. That's good. I I'm getting back to it. I'm going to get out of this funk. Good, man. 80 synth wave. Uh, you, you, you enjoy that then. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, today our, our main topic is going to be on uh, Cypress, uh, which is uh, all about uh, testing, but of a different nature than unit testing, which we've already covered in a previous episode. And we're going to try a little bit of a different format today. Um, John, why don't you tell us a little bit about this format? Because I think it was your, your brainchild, right? Uh, well, that depends on if people like it or not, whether or not I'll take credit for the idea. So we'll hold off on that. But, uh, yeah, so the, you know, the concept, we just want to try it out. We're not sure if we're going to keep doing this or, you know, we're definitely going to go back to the the format everybody's familiar with. But uh, for this one, we wanted to take something that one of us has knowledge of and the other one has very little knowledge of. So in this case with Cyprus, it's something that I did a lot of the research on and ended up doing the work and putting it into the template. And I don't think you've ever looked at it probably for anything um, to this point. I know the name. <laughs> I've heard it before. Yeah. And uh, I have an idea of what it does. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure, I've, as- I'm sure I've talked about it like to you. Um, but yeah, so the idea here is that, you know, Chris is going to be learning along with the audience uh, about this tool. And I'm going to do my best to, uh, you know, recap it, explain it and answer his questions. So the idea here is, like I said, you know, you learn together. It's a great way to, um, you know, mix it up a little bit versus Chris and I just kind of discussing something we're both familiar with. So uh, we're going to try this out, see how it goes. Sounds great. All right. So uh, let's go into our quick tips. Um... I'll go first. Yeah. Uh, so the quick tip for today from me is going to be the uh, package JSON. Uh, there's a section there for uh, scripts. 
And uh, I don't know if a lot of people work with those right now. I know that uh, people always use uh, probably npm i or npm install. Um, you know, they're using uh, ng commands like ng serve and things like that. Uh, but if there are a number of things that uh, your project needs to do, whether it's uh, special build steps or post install steps or things like that, uh, the script section of the package JSON is really handy. So essentially, you can build any script that you want, any command line script, um, just right there into your package JSON, and then everyone who you know pulls down your repo can use that same command set, uh, and they're usually accessed via a command like npm space run space the name of the script. So in our case, uh, we have a special build script for npm run build. Uh, another nice thing about it, though, is you can actually build pre and post scripts for a lot of npm's commands. So if you want to do something every time install happens, but you want to do it before the install, then you just write a script with the name pre install. And if you want to do something after the install, you just write a name of post install. And whatever you put into that script section will run either before or after. Uh, the install command is run. So it's really nice to have those kind of hooks in there too. We've used it a lot. What do you what do you think of it, John? Yeah, I like it a lot. I know we've used it to handle like our tags to do automate like some of our tags in uh, Git uh, for versions. Like after we change a version, we want to create a tag for it. Um, and we used to forget to do tags all the time, which was kind of a hassle when you need to go to an older version. Um, so yeah, using these scripts to automate things are great. Uh, and actually, um, we're we use these scripts for Cypress as well. So I can talk Ooh. a little bit about, about that later on. Uh, about Unintentional kind of tie-in. Yeah, right? See? So you didn't even know that. <laughs> um, yeah, that's awesome. Cool. What do you have for us? Yeah, so for me, I'm going to recommend two books. Um, I've been... Um, you know, kind of into some of the ideas from the people that work at Basecamp uh, have put out there. And this is not anything new. They've had these out here for a while. And um, Basecamp is like a project management tool and they just launched a, an email service. So that's kind of been on my radar and that's how I was looking at these. Um, but I read two of their books. One of them is called Shape Up, which is for free online at their website. We'll put the link in the in the show notes. And the other one is Work Doesn't Have to Be Crazy, which I, I actually got from Amazon. Uh, and they were, um, you know, really informative. I enjoyed going through them. Uh, they have a really unique, um, although sometimes uh, brutish, uh, philosophy on how they handle work uh, and work-life balance and things like that. And being remote for a few months now, I'm sure burnout is setting in for quite a lot of people. I was afraid of it. Um, so some of these, uh, they give you some really good tips that I think have been helping me stay focused and not burnt out. Um, and, uh, yeah, certainly I don't do everything in the book, you know, cause it's hard to completely copy another company, but, um, but yeah, I would definitely recommend checking them out. They're real fast reads. Uh, I think they're only, you know, they only took me like a couple hours to get through both of them. Uh, so worth checking out. That's pretty cool. And, uh, just to inform everyone uh, listening at home, uh, one of the great things about working with John Graham is all the things you get to learn through osmosis, just being near him, because he'll read books and then he has to share the great ideas with you. And you only get the great ones. So technically, <laughs> he's like Cliff's Notes, you know, it's, uh, it's the best the spark thing ever. Notes, uh, yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I certainly have a um, talent or... Um, uh, 
negative personality trait depending on where you're sitting uh where i i don't like you know i like to change things for the better constantly uh, i don't always do that sometimes the things don't work but i i can't like settle for what we have you know so these books really help me stay on track with that so that's cool i'm one of the few people that like pro like just reads about programming all night rather than watching tv so <laughs> that's why i still haven't finished uh-huh. star trek oh my <laughs> Okay. Well, now, John, will you please teach me and everyone else Cyprus? Certainly. I can uh I can try my best. So, uh I think it's always good to maybe start with the problem that Cyprus helps you solve uh before I go into all of the descriptions of what it is. Um because, you know, it's kind of you don't want to get into the scenario where like when once you have a hammer everything's a nail. Uh, you know, Cyprus can do a lot, but, you know, you want to make sure that you're actually solving the problems that it's designed to solve. So the problems that we had, particularly here at Miles, is that we have this Angular template. And, um, you know, when we release a new version, we want to make sure that we didn't break anything. So the way that we did it in the past is we, we had, you know, we, we've been doing really good with unit testing. So we've gotten our unit testing, uh, uh, you know, process up to a degree where we're fairly comfortable with that. But you still want to go in and click the buttons, right? And make sure the things still happen because unit tests don't tell you if you you broke something between the front end and the back end, right? Or you broke something with a table or a model or something crazy like that. Um, so we, we wanted to solve that problem. Yeah. I mean, is there a terminology that this sort of fills in? Like, is it called integration testing when you, or end-to-end testing? Which one would, the situation you just described, what type of testing is that? Yeah. So Cypress certainly is designed to solve the problem of end-to-end testing, right? And there's a thing called the testing pyramid, um, which you can Google. Um, But essentially it's uh, unit testing, integration testing and end-to-end testing. And the main difference, as I understand it, is integration testing is really testing the connection between two pieces. End-to-end testing is testing your entire environment set up as it is at the end of it, right? So there's more than just two connections that make up our our sites, right? There's connections from the front end to the API, the API to the service layer, the validation, the model, the database, there's a bunch of connections. So integration testing is usually designed to handle one of those steps, where end-to-end is meant to handle all of those steps. And if we were to pull that full circle, I guess unit testing is really just testing one part of it. Yep, exactly. Yeah, so isolated, right? Um, yeah, so uh, so what we wanted to do here is we wanted to just have some more reliability, right? We had unit testing that tests things in isolation, but we didn't really have something that uh, handles this full gambit. And what we were doing is I was just going in and clicking the buttons before we launched, uh, which got tiresome after a while. Um, so we started to look into this. I originally wrote, uh, so what Angular comes with, I guess it, we'd be remiss not to mention, is Angular has built-in end-to-end testing with Protractor, right? So that's their first-class end-to-end testing tool. When you do an ng new, you get Protractor when you do that. You know, that's interesting because up until you just said that, I had no idea what Protractor was. I've <laughs> heard of it. I've seen it in the in the yeah. template, like well, our template, but... When you do an ng new, I've seen it, but I had yep. no clue what it did. So now that's uh, interesting to know for me, at least. 
Yeah, for sure. And it certainly is a solution, right? Um, and uh, Cypress is a tool that's kind of designed to do similar things. Um, but there's some distinct advantages that I really like about Cypress. And we'll get into those a little bit more in detail later on. Um, but that's why we kind of ended up going with that. And that, that's the problem that Cypress helps solve for us is when we do our releases, we run our suite of Cypress tests and that actually goes through and it's a full end-to-end test, the site setup as it would be for a user, uh, navigating through the site as a user and expecting to get certain kinds of results. So it gives you that that final you know uh, blanket of comfort around your release that you know your users aren't going to run into problems. That's uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I didn't so, know we did all this. <laughs> I do some work sometimes when I'm not, I, uh, I'm sure when I'm you not do. bothering you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now that you kind of understand the problem, let me go into a little bit more about um, this end-to-end testing and what Cypress is specifically. And we're talking, and, and the actual name is Cypress.io, but I'm not going to keep saying .io the entire time. You'll just have to append that on your own. Um, and what Cypress is, Uh, is it's just a JavaScript testing library. uh, And it's actually built on top of Electron. So it has a client that runs on your machine, an Electron client. And um, it kind of, you know, this unique uh, architecture actually helps them solve a lot of problems that anybody that's written protractor style tests is uh, is going to know about. And so the first thing that it does is it's much more resilient. For some reason, they've figured out a way to make it so that you know, if the element isn't there exactly when you try to find it, it doesn't just fail outright, right? So, like with Protractor, when you're using you know WebDriver or something like that to hook into the browser, it just it, it's a bit more brittle, right? So if your timing's off slightly or the element's not quite there yet, and you try to select it and it can't, your test is going to fail. So like you could run the same test two or three times and get different results. So are you talking like? on a component or view load, like that kind of timing, since, uh, for instance, it may take a half second or so just to get the page to actually show that input box. Is that is that the kind of timing you mean? Yeah, so like a, I think a good way to think about it is when you're writing a unit test, in order to handle timing scenarios, you do things like, um, you know, you call the lifecycle hooks explicitly, you put ticks in place, things like that to let the, change detection fire, right? The, the the different thing when you get into Cypress is you now have this whole other timing thing, which is the browser, right? So the browser DOM, the rendering cycle, the JavaScript engine, all these things have to do their job as well. And it's not as easy to just say, hey, render my element, Chrome. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's no, ele- there's no like function you're going to call to be able to easily understand that. So with things like, you know, some of the other end-to-end testing tools I've looked at, which is like Selenium and Protractor and stuff, you can get around it, but you, you're, you're having to hack things together and it's just, they're real brittle. You know, you add a step in and things can go a little haywire. Um, the other thing that it does, which is probably the most amazing feature of Cypress, and I cannot stress enough, it, it's not going to sound too glamorous, but when you write these tests, it, it's amazing. Uh, part of the uh, Electron uh, client they have, it loads a browser inside of the client when it's running the test, and it actually records each step. And when I say record, I mean like video records it. 
It also takes screenshots throughout all the steps. And what it gives you as an output is not just failure or success, which is what you get with, you know, Protractor or something else that's running in like, say, a headless browser or even a full browser. It just says fail or success. This actually gives you the breadcrumbs of the entire test, like when it went, when it loaded the page, when it found the first element, when it put text into it. And you can actually just like mouse through them and see what this what the actual test looked like at that point in time, right? So th these are computers running these tests. So like to load a page and fill out a form, being a computer, it does it like in the blink of an eye. So if there's a problem, it's it's hard for you to see visually or you know even from the error message know where that problem occurred. Uh, and with this record, with this test recorder, you can go back and step back. Okay, did it find this element okay? Did it find this element okay? And if it didn't, it actually shows you where it tried to find it. It said, hey, I was looking here. I didn't see it. Um, so debugging tests with uh, uh, Cypress is an amazing uh, experience changeover or something like Protractor or, or WebDriver. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why you would think that that doesn't sound amazing because that does <laughs> sound absolutely amazing but it, it, immediately immediately from my my mind i'm like okay but that can't be cheap right like storing video and images like can you turn that off and then can you only like turn it back on when you want to debug that process like how does that how does that work yeah so when you're actually um you know, building them on your, like your local machine or whatever, it only stores those in the context of the test runner, right? So when you close the Electron app, it's gone. Um, okay. All right. So we're talking about an at the time of not a uh, storing a bunch of video on my build server every time I run my pipeline. Hold on to that because when we talk about pipelines, we do the same with pipelines, but I have a nice little trick for that. All right, nice. So remember to ask me that question when I get to the automation step. Mm -hmm. um, so the uh, and and the reason I guess why I think it's not uh, it may not sound amazing is because like people probably think yeah I just write my test and it works and I don't have to debug it right but <laughs> you know these tests can be a little rough to to debug. Who is saying that I <laughs> uh, <laughs> writing yeah. tests and they just work? Uh, I don't know who you are, but you should definitely <laughs> apply for a job with us. We need your help. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah, so the last thing that I want to talk about that, uh, Cypress is, and the reason why I, I really like it, and this is kind of unique to, uh, maybe unique to us, um, but it's actually written in a similar syntax to Jasmine. Um, so as you know, we use Jasmine for our unit testing library. And, uh, when I go into it next, which is like, what does a Cypress test look like? It's almost identical to a Jasmine unit test. So from a learning curve or readability or understandability, whatever you want to call that, it's a, it was a very easy step into Cypress, whereas Protractor follows a little bit of a different uh, syntax. Okay. That, that is helpful too. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about what a Cypress test actually looks like uh, at a high level. And here's where, again, if you're familiar with Jasmine, these things are going to sound identical to that. But if you're not, I'll, I'll explain it so that you, you kind of get the gist of it. So what you do is you just create a new test file and you start with a describe block, right? And a describe block is really just meant to be a grouping of tests that you're about to run. 
and the Cypress test runner uses that to help display the tests in a uh, in a format that's easy to, to read and understand. So you create your describe block uh, in order to group your tests. And then the next thing you write is you write an it, an IT statement, which is your actual testing logic, right? So that's where you're going to say it should do, you know, it should log in when I pass in valid credentials, right? Or it should fail log in when I give uh, no password, that kind of thing. Um, and then the other thing that you, is, is what's in a Cypress test is the Cypress CLI. Um, so usually you have like a Jasmine CLI tool to run your unit tests, things like that. With Cypress, it also has a CLI tool. Typically what I do though, is I just use it to open the test runner Electron app, which I've been telling you about that does the recordings and stuff. And then you can do everything with a GUI interface there, which is actually really great. Uh, it's an awesome interface. It makes, you know, and then as you write new tests, they just load into the interface. You don't have to like rerun it or anything. It's kind of like hot reloaded. Um, so it's a really great like development experience there. So as an example for this describe it situation, and I know we've covered this in the previous unit test thing, but I just want to not step right over it here. If it, if we could say there's a describe block for like login form. In other words, we're about to do tests that involve the login form. So that might be the describe. Yeah. And then in the it, you might write something like uh, login form. Um, I don't know what, what we'd be testing, but maybe that login form submit button uh, causes a certain API action to take place. Yeah, exactly. Like I mean, that. It's been pretty basic for us because we don't have like a thousand Cypress tests. So like for me, the describe is like customer detail page. That's the describe. And then the it is should add a new customer or should fail to add a new customer, right? Because you want to check the the negative and positive scenarios. So like, that's just kind of some of the simple examples that we've used. Fantastic. Cool. Thanks for clarifying. Yeah, no problem. Uh, and then the last thing I think that's important that when you look at a Cypress test, you is certainly the thing that's not going to be uh, familiar to you is there's this psi or CY uh, variable that all Cypress tests have. And really what that is, is that's um, just like a class essentially, and it has chainable operators on it so that you can interact with the, uh, the web browser, right? So you don't have this with uh, traditional unit tests because they're run you know, in isolation, right? There's no actual anything you need to interact with. Um, but if you think about it kind of like a spy, right? A spy dot on or something like that, this is psi. And then there's things like dot visit, which will tell the browser to go to a URL, right? So you do psi dot visit, www.google.com and it will go to google.com and load the web page. And then you may do like, then you'll do like a sci.get and then you pass in a selector to go find an element on the page. So everything kind of starts with that sci dot and that's kind of the one uh, object or namespace. Uh, I never know what to call these things in the JavaScript world uh, that has all of your operators that you're going to interact with the, um, the DOM or the, the web page from. So are you going to be covering uh, with us here uh, some of the more common uh, things that you would use in that Psi uh, namespace or object? Uh, I'm curious to see how they would work. Yeah, so let me, uh, you know, let me just do, like, let me just walk through an example real quick from start awesome. to finish. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so let's, let's talk about, like, uh, a simple thing, like, say, your login screen, right? That's a pretty straightforward thing. It doesn't have a lot of 
elements, right? So on our login screen, we use um, just like a, I think we use a template driven form. I don't even think we use a reactive form. Um, so the way that our Cypress test works is you say, you know, it should log in uh, when, you, when you go to this screen. And so the first thing you're gonna do is you're gonna do a sci.visit and you're gonna go to the URL for your application. So Cypress does support uh, environments. Um, so you would probably, like in our case, we defined the host in the environment uh, configuration because on local, it's localhost. On test, it's one URL. On staging, it's another URL, right? So you can change that with an environment um, file. And that's just like a .env like you would normally have. Um, so you visit uh, your URL. And then the first thing that we do is we um, do a sci.get. And, um, you know, in our case, I've written some custom commands, um, which I can I can talk about in a second. Um, but think about using just like a uh, like a CSS selector or a JavaScript, JavaScript selector. They, they're the same syntax, right? So if you want to do an ID, you do a pound. If you want to do a class, you do a dot. It's the same exact thing. You can do like nested in inputs and stuff like that. So you do a sci.get and you put your selector at whatever you want to do. And let's just say we get the username. Then you do off of that, because I said they're chainable, meaning that you can just keep appending to them. So you do a sci.get, your selector, dot type, and then you put in your username, right? Or what you would want your username to be. And then that will go find the username text box and type whatever you tell it to type. Then you do a sci.get, password, rinse and repeat, right? Dot type, and you type your password. Um, and then the last thing you do is you do a sci.get on the button, right? The sign-in button. And then you're chaining on that dot click, right? And then that tells the browser to go and click. So then what we do is we, um, I add a little bit of an implicit weight there, and then I check for our toast message to see that it appeared saying that you logged in successfully. Uh, and if I see that, then I know that the, the test succeeded. So that's okay. kind of like a very simple, you know, example of a Cypress test. That uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, thanks for thanks for going through it. I think that that uh, definitely answered a lot of my questions about how you would interact with those things. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of advanced situations though that you uh, have to know some special ins and outs. Um, I'm sure we'll have some stuff to talk about in the gotchas section. Yeah, definitely <laughs> there are. <laughs> um, so uh, I, what I want to talk about quickly now is, you know, that that's kind of a Cypress test. And like you said, you, you're kind of, you know, a lot of them are pretty simple like that. The only things you're really changing are your assertions, right? So like in some cases, you may want to assert that, you know, a URL is a certain type of URL and you can do that. Like it has like dot should, and then you can say equals or contains or whatever, and, and you can look for the URL, things like that. Um, but you know, one of the things that we wanted to do as part of this is that uh, we wanted to automate this, and we wanted it to run as part of our pipeline. So I think we've talked about it in previous episodes that we use GitLab uh, for our source control, and we also use them for our continuous integration. And um, you know, with Docker, uh, it's actually very easy to automate this. I was surprised uh, <laughs> actually how easy it was to, to automate this. Um, so essentially, our automation for this is just two stages. We have one stage where we um, do our NPM install, and we build the site. 
to get all of our, you know, uh, to get the NPM packages we need to install Cypress and things like that. And then we take those and we pass them into the next step, which actually executes the tests. And there's, there's actually a Cypress image that somebody created on Docker already. It's like Cypress base, and then it has a version number, which I think is the node version. Uh, and then all you do with that is you just, uh, there's a CLI command, like I said. Uh, there, we, I, when I'm developing locally, I use the CLI command that opens the, the Electron app and shows me the, the UI. But when we're doing it in our template, there's another command that says, just run all the tests. Uh, don't open a UI, just run them all. No, like um, a headless state kind of a thing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly okay. right. It is a headless state. Um, so we call that command and it runs them all. And the first thing is, is that that gives you great output right to your standard out. So your console is actually logging similar to like when you run unit tests, it says, hey, I ran this test. This was the result of the test. Or if it failed, this is the error message that I can give you. Um, but what I told you before is one of the great things about Cypress is that recording step that it does. And it's nice to look at the error message, but like if something fails in a pipeline, it's hard for me to recreate that, right? And I got to pull the Docker image down. I got to build the artifacts. I got to do all this stuff. Uh, it's not hard, I guess, in the grand scheme of things, but it's a step I don't want to take. So what I actually take advantage of to answer your question that you brought up earlier is uh, GitLab has a concept called um, artifacts, right? And you can give them an expiration period. So what I do is I store the video and the screenshots of the tests that ran, but I only store them for two hours. Oh, nice. Okay. And then the artifacts expire and it deletes them. Uh, right. And, and I'm, I'm sorry, I just wanted to say, like, obviously then, so let's say that it was three hours and I didn't get to them yet. You could just rerun that step, let it fail again, and then boom, there's your, there's your artifacts you can use right there. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, the thought being that, you know, when you kick off a pipeline like this, it's during, um, you know, it's typically during a release, which I guess I should mention as well is that, you know, I don't run these Cypress tests every time I make a change because <laughs> um, they're not fast. You know, they're, they're a lot slower than unit tests um, because they have to act as a user. And although I said before, computers are pretty fast at clicking through forms, they're not as fast as they are at like compiling code. Um, so they're a little bit slow. So we only run this when we actually push to our staging environment before we push it to staging. Um, and, you know, you're probably monitoring it, right? Like I get the, the pop-up on my, my machine when a pipeline fails. And, you know, you're probably going to go look at it real quick. Um, but, yeah, like you said, it's a real simple process to, to run, it, uh, run it again. Um, but that's like the neat little trick that uh, I use with GitLab. And I, I'm sure it's the, like, I know Azure has artifacts and they expire and stuff like that. So um, I'm sure you can repeat that. All right. So one major question that I have, and, and this has to do with the automation, but certainly has to do probably with your local setup as well. Uh, so if this thing is doing end to end and it's logging in or it's creating a customer or failing to create a customer, uh, well, it's got to be interacting with a database, right? Or, or are we spying on that information and mocking it in some way? How are we handling it? Yeah, so this is the largest area of opportunity for improvement in our current uh, setup process. Uh, and no shame. I mean, I got this out from not knowing what Cypress was to an automated CI running pipeline 
in less than a week, right? So it didn't take a lot of work to get here. Um, but one of the things that we didn't really handle is the question you're asking right now. Um, mm. so, so the way that it actually works is you need, in our case, to have a full setup environment. So when I'm running it locally, I need to be serving the site and running my API and have that connected to a database in order for this to work. And in the pipeline, we just actually point it to our test site and it runs on our test site. Okay. Um, now that's not ideal. What you really want to do is you want to dockerize the whole environment, right? So you want to have, when you're doing these Cypress tests, you spin up a front-end container, an API container, a database container, and ideally you have you know pre-staged data in it. Then you run your tests and you tear it all down and it doesn't matter what the tests did. Now, in order to uh, sleep a little bit better at night, <laughs> what I did is I actually have the tests running in a order that they kind of clean themselves up as long as they uh, don't fail. <laughs> so basically what they do is they create a, you know, cust like, like one, a good example is like a list item, right? So we have list items in our system. They create a list item, verify that it works, and then immediately after they run the delete test. And guess which one they delete? The, the one, one they just created? <laughs> yeah, right? Look at that. That's my big brain solution <laughs> to the problem. Um, so it's not perfect, right? Because if it fails, yeah. then you're going to have junk data. And you can't delete everything in the system. So it does put some bad records in. But if you're only running this in staging, right, or when you're about to go live locally, uh, it, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't cause enough problem for me to spend the time it's going to take to dockerize the whole environment. But I think that that's what uh, you would actually want to do in a real world scenario. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, uh, I'll just take at least half a second to say what we do is definitely a real world scenario. But what we're doing <laughs> sure. is we're testing it via our test uh, data and our test database. And if that gets junked up, we can always uh, restore it from some other point and we, we don't care. It's not like anyone's using that data and we need to keep it consistent or correct. Uh, if we needed to tear it all down and start over, it wouldn't matter. Um, but what you're saying is, let's say that let's say that you wanted to have this level right at the time that you release. So you want to test this versus prod. Well, then you'd have to actually, you know, uh, have a mirror of the prod that you can then hammer these new values into and then destroy that and not have it affect the real prod. So just being clear. For sure. I love when you correct me on when I say real applications. Like <laughs> like we don't build real applications. It's such a funny thing to correct me <laughs> on. I, I uh, the one thing I will say uh, in defense as well, it, from the books I've been reading actually, is it's, it's very easy to feel inadequate when you're comparing your solution versus what your desired outcome is. But when you compare your solution versus what you had before, it's a better comparison to measure pro, um, uh, progress, right? So before, we had no end-to-end -end tests. They didn't exist. So having them at all <laughs> is certainly better than you know the difference it is between having a fully dockerized environment and what we have, right? We're still getting a major upside. Um, so, you know, but that that is something that I think we should look into and clean up because I think... Uh, in the future, that would obviously make uh, things a lot safer and easier to run. Well, it's a good tip for everyone uh, listening to know that there are 
uh, things that could be problematic, things that you might want to think ahead about. But I think that the solution that we've come up with is perfect for our situation right now. I'm not feeling that we need to do anything different, but it is definitely something to discuss. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. So uh, the, the next thing that I really want to touch on after automation is uh, you know, a question that I think you haven't asked yet, but I know you're probably thinking and some other people are thinking is, you know, how do we handle logins, right? And you may kind of know because I just um, told you that it runs on a test environment and we have users on that test environment. But I wanted to talk a little bit more about how we handle authentication as in we're going to be hitting authenticated routes throughout this process. And Cypress actually, you know, is uh, is supposed to run sandboxed for each test, right? So each test is essentially a new, uh, like if you loaded the browser fresh. Oh, so like in other words, each test would have to do a login step just to get to the test part? Yeah, so it gets a little tricky because it depends on how you handle your authentication. So like in our case, we store tokens in cookies. Right. So when you close the browser and reopen it, you don't have to log in again because we have a cookie for the domain. Right. So Cypress, you know, because we're hitting the login screen, does the same thing. Um, but, um, you know, they actually have a really good way to handle it. So what I'm going to say is this is another thing where, you know, we did it one way. I'm going to say the way we do it, but I'm going to also give the way that Cypress would prefer that you do it um, so that you have a comparison of both. So the way that we do it is exactly what you said. I have a before each in my describe that says login, right? So it goes to the login screen and it puts in the credentials and it gives you a cookie on your uh, domain. Now we've had some intermittent issues with that. So what we actually do is we clear the cookies first. So we go to the login screen, clear all the cookies for this domain, and then log in. Because we've had some issues where it was like sometimes the cookies were there, sometimes they weren't, and it like caused some issues. Um, so that's kind of an extra step. Uh, and then you know now you're authenticated. You go, you just route to your your route in your the first step of your test, and you have the cookie, and you're good to go. Um, so that works. I mean, that's how it it actually works in our system right now. We log in before each test. Um, so why is that not good? Well. Um, the first one of the first rules of of testing in general is you don't test the same thing more than once. So by logging in before every test, we are testing our login as many times as we have tests, um, which is unnecessary, right? There's just no reason to do that. I have a test to test the login. That should be all we we need, right? Um, the other problem is is that it adds time. Right, because the browser has to open, it has to go to the login screen, it has to fill it out, it has to click submit, it has to wait for the response, save the cookies, and then it can start the test. And it has to do that for every test. So our test bed is a lot longer because of that. Yeah, and I mean, this is an Angular application, so yeah, that's lightning quick, but um, lightning isn't exactly lightning quick. It's more like it's so fast that it doesn't bother a human. But when you start stacking them up on top of, say, 100 tests, yeah. and this is 100 times whatever that X value is of time you had to wait to go through that, yeah, it can add up. Yeah, I mean, it's acceptable to have a longer test time with end-to-end -end tests. It kind of comes with the territory. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, are you willing to wait, you know, 
45 minutes to push it to production because your end-to-end -end tests have to run. You know what I mean? Uh, and this is certainly an inefficiency that's not necessary. Um, so it's it's kind of funny because, you know, this is one of those um, relics of, you know, we're figuring it out, right? We don't quite know how it works. Because I went back and looked at the documentation later when I was helping somebody else with Cypress. And in the documentation, it says, don't log in before every test. This is an anti-pattern. It's not the way you're supposed to write Cypress tests. <laughs> and that one, that one just like, bam, hit me right in the heart. And I was like, no, <laughs> if only I read this, this documentation a little bit better. Um, so it's cool, though. They have a solution. What they actually tell you to do in this scenario is rather than going to your login screen and doing everything I just described, one of their Psy commands is Psy.request. And what Psy.request is, is it makes an Ajax call behind the scenes. Uh, so what you would actually do is you'd use Psy.request, hit your login endpoint behind the scenes, get your token, and then proceed with your test. So this way, there's no user interface. You, you have like the credentials you need to pass in, and uh, it's much faster to do it that way. So it's yeah. not a, a big deal, but it certainly, would, I think, would cut our time down pretty drastically. We don't have a whole lot, like I said. So like our time right now is like, uh, a minute and a half, you know, so a it would cut it down to like 45 seconds, probably. So it's not horrible. But you know, it's certainly if I was doing it over, I would do it that way, because it's not like a crazy concept to implement. I just didn't know about it. Uh, the things that we learn along the way. <laughs> if only I could uh, know everything before I did it, I would I would do a much better job. Well, when you find the book that tells you how to do that, you'll definitely have to let me know. <laughs> I'm going to write it, Chris. <laughs> oh, nice. I'll be a millionaire. Um, yeah. Okay. So uh, so that's kind of like one of the other gotchas. And uh, one of the, the last things I wanted to touch on um, from just kind of an end-to-end -end experience here, who pun intended, um, is, you know, what else have we done on top of just, you know, creating some tests, creating a CI pipeline? So the one thing that I really like about Cypress as well is it allows these chainable operators, and they're not really operators, that's probably the wrong wrong term for them. Um, chainable elements, I think, is what Cypress calls them. Um, you'll have to fact check me on that. But um, these, these chainable entities um, is that it lets you write custom ones. So you can actually write your own uh, selectors. Right. So like one of the things I said before is like sometimes we use template driven forms, sometimes we use reactive forms. And to, you know, if you don't have a specific class or an ID or something to select like the one text box you want in a form, you're going to run into the scenario of you do a selector, you get a collection of elements, then you have to figure out which element inside of that collection you want to modify, which is fine. Sometimes that's really useful. Um, but in the case of a form, like the login form, I just want to get the username and put my username in. And then I just want to get the password and put my password in. Um, so when I was going through this, I was writing some code. It was getting very wet, very repeated. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, that's when I started to look at what options Cypress has. And I found this ability to create custom, you know, chainable uh, elements. And so what I've created uh, in our template because we use Angular. <laughs> and uh, there's some really nice things for Angular. Is I've created like a, a couple simple ones. Uh, one of them is a form control. And the other one is a dynamic control. 
And so uh, the, the difference between the two is we have uh, in our reactive forms, we wrap them in this dynamic control element, right? Uh, we'll get into that eventually when we, we talk about that. Um, we'll give and, away all the good stuff there <laughs> that's coming up ahead, John. Yeah, you, know, you have to listen to every episode because you don't know when we'll actually explain what that is. Um, <laughs> And then we just have like normal form controls, right? So the way that you find a form control, at least the way I, I found it, is you look for an input. And then if I want to just find, say, the um, username input, there's a form control name on it, right? You give a form control name to everything in a reactive form. So what I do is I look for an input, and then I look for a property with the form control name equaling username. Then that's just going to give me that one. So I've, I was writing over and over again, input property form control name equals, and then I would change that value. So what I did instead is I just wrote a custom chainable element that you know takes in the property name as a variable and then just does that selector for me. Um, and that worked out great. I mean, that's great if you just use normal dynamic forms, like that makes your selectors. So instead of doing all that stuff, I just do psi.formControl, pass in the name, and it finds it. Uh, the other thing that I did, which was that dynamic control, it got a lot trickier <laughs> with that. Um, and the, the trick I used for that is I just looked at the rendered DOM of our thing, and I found that it actually, the, the part where it takes that property name, it puts it on a thing called ng-reflect-name, and then it sticks whatever you give the form control name into that. So I just wrote, again, another custom thing that looks for the property on an input, for ng reflect name and then the property name and it gives you the selector. So it's pretty cool because I imagine like as you're building these things, you're going to add these custom operators and it's just going to make like it's so much easier to write tests in the future, right? Because you're not changing the way you do forms typically. It's going to be the same. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of anything where you can do that kind of work and it it pays big dividends when, when things change down the road. So like, for instance, your example you just gave, you're looking for ng reflect and the name to equal, say, username or something, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that's keying off of Angular's uh, internal workings. Well, there's no guarantee that when they come up with Angular 11 or Angular 15, that ng reflect is going to be how they call that out anymore. Yep. And all you have to do is go to your, your custom thing Make the change that makes it work, and now everything's using that correctly. It, you're basically abstracting the concept, not only making it so you don't have to repeat yourself, but also so that the concept of how do I find this thing is centralized. Exactly, and you know that's really nice for these like weird elements, like these custom ones that we've created. But I've also found some great use cases for it. Like um, I have another one called Select Nth Option, right? So when you're using a select list, maybe you want to pick the first thing, maybe you want to select the last thing, maybe you want to select the third thing, um, you know, in the select list, uh, you can achieve that. You have to chain together a bunch of stuff, right? You have to get the select list, then you have to loop over all of the things inside the select list or do it by index. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just a hassle to write that over and over again, because we have how many select lists in our applications? There's like probably hundreds. Um, you know, now you just say, select nth option and you pass in like one or two or three and the property name and it just goes and picks it for you so you can write a lot of these really cool uh custom chainable things like i would say like majority uh there's probably more code in my custom chainable 
uh, class than there is anywhere else in the Cypress things because I just put a lot of work into getting our like control set in there. Well, you're uh, you're not going to get any uh, argument from me. I think that that's a good sign. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and yeah, I mean that's that's basically it. I mean that's Cypress in a nutshell and how we use it. I think we're uh, we're using it. Uh, for a lot of really beneficial things, but in a very simple way. Uh, again, I think overall it took me three or four days going from zero Cypress knowledge to this full test suite um, and the the automated version. And obviously, I know a little bit more about the automation side, so if you're unfamiliar with that, it's a little bit more work. But it was it was a quick and easy thing to set up, and I think like I feel way more comfortable <laughs> with our releases now. Yeah, and that's that's the end goal, right? You want to make sure that when you do a release, that uh, everything works as intended, that you haven't broken anything, and uh, you usually don't measure success with something like this on how long it took you to do. You don't measure success on uh, how many uh, you know times it has to run or how long the pipeline takes. You usually measure success on how many times you catch a problem. You know, because those are all times that you were able to find something before a user did. Yeah, and this certainly has caught problems. <laughs> so that's always a great feeling when you write this tool and, you know, three or four releases later, it catches something. You're like, oh, thank God. That would have been so rough to, to have to deal with, like, doing another release for. So. Well, you've answered all my questions, John. I, I know <laughs> a lot more about Cypress now. I mean, I kind of understood what it did a little bit, but... But now I feel like I can actually, you know, uh, load it up and start creating something and, and maybe maybe safeguard some of my things I'm working on. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and it's great. It's a really, I, I like it a lot. And uh, I guess I should mention, you can use this for anything. Um, we actually use this to test our .NET applications as well. Um, because it's just anything that runs in a browser, you can Cypress test it. Because uh, it doesn't require any framework or anything like that to set up and run. It can live in its own repo and its own thing. Um, and it runs on anything in a browser. So it's it's it has a lot of possibilities outside of just the Angular world uh, or JavaScript world for that matter. Nice. Um, couple quick gotchas I do want to mention real quick before we wrap up. Uh, nothing like groundbreaking. Uh, I mentioned before it's very good at handling like timing issues. It's not perfect. Um, it's still, you still, sometimes you'll run a test and it fails. And the first thing I do is I just rerun the test because, you know, maybe it was just some timing issue or the computer was allocating resources somewhere else at that point. So it was a little bit slower. So there's still some brittleness to them. The other thing that I would say just as a general feeling with Cypress, and again, I think this, this is mainly an experience talking, but I would imagine most people will feel the same way at some point is I find it very hard to figure out what to assert on. Right. So like when I fill out a record and I click save and it saves the customer, like with us, we navigate you away from the uh, add record screen and we take it to the info screen. Right. So do I assert that we made it to the info screen? Does that actually tell me that the record was created correctly? Do I assert that the toast appeared? Like I said, we do with the login. Like it's it's hard sometimes. It's not as intuitive, I'll say, when you're writing unit tests. Um, it's very easy. Like you assert, you know, whatever your testing happened. But with this, it's a little more obtuse. So it takes a little bit more time to, to try to find the right assertion uh, to make. 
Uh, and I think that's just something that probably comes with some more experience. Um, but those are some of the things that, you know, I have still as, you know, nagging issues uh, with, with the tool. Uh, certainly nothing that stopped me from pursuing or, you know, recommending it. Um, but it's just some things to realize are going to probably happen to everybody. Yeah, and I think that's a common problem uh, in all testing, you know, that timing thing. One of the first things you learn when you pick up a new test uh, testing type of framework or environment is where is the weight, where is the tick, where is the thing that makes it say delay for a couple of seconds, just so you can have a sanity check as to whether something is happening at the wrong time. Yep. Yeah, so that's it. That's everything I have. Any Anything you have recap-wise that you want to no, no. Uh, thank you so much for for showing all, all of us how to how to Cyprus. <laughs> uh, well, I sh- I showed you how to look up what Cyprus is, and maybe you'll get excited about it. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Thanks for listening and good questions. And uh, it's it's always fun. This is it's good for me too because the best way to learn something, as I'm sure a lot of people know, is to explain it to somebody else. So it's a uh, it was a good refresher course for me on some of the things. So thanks for listening. Uh, Okay, that's it. Uh, Thanks, everybody. Uh, Let us know what you think about the new format. Uh, We'll try it out again. Uh, We plan to, I think, right now at least, just mix these in every couple episodes uh, as just a change of pace. Um, And it it lets us explore topics that, you know, maybe we wouldn't normally look into because, you know, Chris has got to do a lot of research to be able to talk about Cyprus. This is a good way to, to change that up. So let us know. You can always reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at John Graham Dev, G-R-A-H-A-M Dev, and Chris is at Pilgrim Secret. Uh, I don't know why I don't spell that. I just, I guess, assume people know how to spell that. But It's two words of, everybody knows. A lot of people get my last name wrong, surprisingly, so I have to mention it. Uh, so yeah, follow us on that and, and reach out to us. Let us know what you think, or if you have any thoughts on Cyprus, I'd love to hear about them. Uh, you can also uh, check out uh, our website if you're looking to work here at Miles Technologies. We are hiring right now, um, among everything else. Uh, it's just milestechnologies.com slash careers. Uh, you can reach out to us there and, and let us know. And that's everything. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs>